Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth here. It is time to focus on metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of Focus on Metal. And I know last week that we talked about having Ron Keel on the show this week, but as you can probably figure out from the beginning of the show, we are in fact going to have on special guest Dave Ellison. Now, the Ron Keel thing did happen as scheduled. Richie had an awesome talk with Ron, but we thought that given the news that has come out in the last few weeks and everybody's concern and uh, wishes for uh, Dave Mustaine after his uh, announcement of his diagnosis, we thought that uh, since we had this uh, talk with Ellison, that we would just push this up a little bit so that besides knowing what's going on with Dave as far as Sleeping Giants and his book and the Bay Story Tour, that uh, there's even just a little bit about what's going on with Megadeth these days. Richie took the classy path and really didn't want to focus on that, spend a lot of time on that. But we know that people are uh, eager for information about uh, what's going on with Dave and the band. So as I said, Richie took a little bit of time, single question to Dave. Dave gave a nice update, good, uh, good answer back. And then we got into the meat of why we were talking to Dave this week. So, as you'll find out this week, even with Megadeth on a current hiatus, at least in regards to public appearances, that you're going to be able to find Ellison all over the place this summer between Bay Story and book appearances and all kinds of other stuff. So, it'll be Dave Ellison this week, and then we'll probably end up doing the Ron Keel stuff next week. Guarantee that the Ron Keel chat will be well worth the wait. Uh, Richie had an extensive interview with him. Lots of great stuff from Ron Keel next week. But right now, what do you say we do? A track of the week. So the track of the week this week comes in a roundabout way from uh, my editing up Richie's chat with Ron Keel. What you say, how is that possible? Well, let me tell you. Richie and Ron at one point get into a discussion about, uh, you know, listening to new artists out there. And Ron's talking about, you know, this former DJ gig and how he, was, he loved being able to talk to new artists and dig into uh, new releases and all that good stuff. And one of the ones that he was uh, pretty hot for lately was the Sweet Oblivion release from Jeff Tate. Yep, I know. And, you know, you listen back to the shows and for the last couple of years, I have definitely not been on the uh, Jeff Tate fan train at all. And in fact, this one, you know, when it came out, I've actually had uh, notification of this since way back in May. And honest to God, I did not listen to a single bit of it at all. I just kind of passed, like I said, with all the stuff going on. Uh, I've been really happy with all the uh, output from Queensryche, but I really had just kind of put anything with Jeff Tate on the back burner, even though back in the day, I was definitely uh, really dug his vocals and everything that he did with Queensryche. But uh, after listening to Ron talk enthusiastically about the Sweet Oblivion release, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, and I should really go back and listen to that. And 
it is everything that they had intended to do with this, which was basically to take a team of, of guys, put them together with Jeff, and get some songs that were crafted just like the stuff that he was doing back with classic Queensryche. And it's all there, all that stuff that they were doing, plus even stuff that uh, that Jeff would have been doing recently as well or in the latter half of Queensryche. So he didn't really throw away his total playbook, but uh, there's definitely some songs on here that absolutely would, uh, you hear it and go, wow, that sounds like something that could be easily on like The Warning or Rage for Order. So this thing came out on June 14th via our friends at Frontiers Records. And as I said, they went and they got him a pretty killer team of musicians, all from Italy. I am not even going to try to attempt the names because I guarantee you I will screw them up. But uh, having said that, as I said, great team, guitar, bass, drums, backing up Jeff. And these guys definitely know how to do their progressive metal as well as all the other mix as well. So with all that said, and confessing that uh, I really called this one totally wrong, I think track of the week this week is going to come off of the new Sweet Oblivion release from Jeff Tate. And the track I'm going to play for you this week is actually the first track on the album. It's called True Colors. Lots of other tracks I could have chosen, but this is the one that first initially grabbed me and made me listen to everything else on here. So from Sweet Oblivion featuring Jeff Tate, this is True Colors. Track of the week from Sweet Oblivion, featuring the vocals of Jeff Tate and the leadoff track on that one, True Colors. And I'll also throw out uh, the thanks to Ron Keel for inadvertently having me go and uh, actually check that one out and bring it to you. So let's get down to the uh, main event this week, and that is Richie's talk with 
Megadeth bassist Dave Ellison. And uh, Dave's doing all kinds of stuff this summer, including another Bass Story tour, which is already currently underway, kicked off on July 6th down in our neck of the woods at Providence, Rhode Island. And if you're listening to this on release date, uh, July 10th, then he's also already done Long Branch, New Jersey and New Branford, Connecticut. And tonight he will be doing uh, New Bedford, Mass. And then he's still got a couple other dates, Waterbury, Connecticut on July 11th, Long Island, New York on July 14th, uh, Pekin, Illinois, July 18th, Lombard, Illinois, July 19th, July 22nd in Rockford, Illinois, and wrapping it up on uh, September 7th at uh, Phoenix, Arizona's Joe's Grotto. And this leg of Bay Story, he's calling this one the uh, More Life With Death 2019 tour, which besides Dave's usual Bay Story program, he's also going to do a full band set, which will include some songs from the upcoming Sleeping Giants release, which will be dropping on july 19th so a great dates to catch this summer if you want to find out what's going on with ellison and uh, always been rave reviews for the base story stuff and you can tell from the interview that this guy really enjoys getting out here and uh, connecting with the people on this tour and as I said at the beginning of the show, obviously he does have the uh, More Life with Death book that is supposed to be out on July 16th. And just before we start the chat with Dave, I should mention that the uh, Sleeping Giants release is coming out via Combat, which is very cool that the Combat label is up active again. And it's also run by this week's special guest. That's right, Dave Ellison. So with that, what do you say I uh, shut up and turn the microphone over to Richie as he chats with Megadeth bassist Dave Ellison. Hi, Richie. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Yeah, man. How are you? I'm very good. You're in uh, nice and warm Arizona. I am. Where are you at? Um, I'm just outside of Boston, but I'm originally from Ireland. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tell by the accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boston is Boston is kind of like the American version of Ireland. <laughs> yeah, St. Patrick's Day is great for me around here. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So I've, yeah. I've I've only got half an hour, and I've got a lot of stuff to cover. So, okay. um, yeah. I'm not going to spend too long on the announcement yesterday of uh, Dave's cancer diagnosis. Yeah. I'm sure everybody's been asking you about it. The one thing I w- I do want to ask you is, um, have you gone out of your way to read up? on what type of cancer he, he has to maybe educate yourself a lot more on it. You know, one of the first things Dave said was everybody's a doctor because everybody can go on the internet and give advice. And, you know, and you probably most of what you read on the internet will just do nothing but scare you to death. <laughs> so, you know, he, he, he filled us in on what it is and obviously to respect his privacy, you know, I'm going to just leave it at that for him. Um, but, um, you know, look, he immediately got into action to seek out what course of treatment he should take. And he's, it's, uh, the treatment is underway. And, um, that's why we, you know, just last week came to the decision that we should shut things down with the touring side of Megadeth right now, just to help him go through the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the treatment and recovery process so that he can heal and recover properly without stressing him out, trying to be out singing and, you know, doing the things that he shouldn't be doing while he's undergoing a treatment. So hence the announcements. And, um, so yeah, look, I think the best thing for 
you know, it's, look, just thoughts and prayers are, are important, you know, and they go a long way. And, and, um, and, uh, you know, I think that was a huge outpouring from yesterday's announcement. For Def- sure. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Dave, so you've, you've got some free time now because you're not going to do the, a lot of the shows. Is your schedule already booked up for that? Or are you just going to step away from music for a while? No, I actually, you know, because I have this book and companion album coming out with more life with death book and the sleeping giants album already scheduled to be coming out in July. <clears throat> um, you know, that was already in motion when, keep in mind, we had the Aussie tour <laughs> we were supposed to be doing um, until that got postponed. Um, but all summer, we were going to be out doing that. So once, you know, some of the stuff we were going to be doing, some promotion for the book and album uh, while we were on the Aussie tour, once that postponed, we pretty quickly booked the month of July into early August to be out doing Bass Story, which is my solo bass performances that I do in Storytellers um, events. <clears throat> so... Um, that, you know, the month of July was already pretty well filled up anyway. Um, and we got to work in Nashville on the album, uh, early May, all through June here. Um, and we are still working on the album. I mean, we haven't shut that down. Um, we want to keep that going to, um, you know, keep that, that moving forward right now. So, um, um, but yeah, I mean, look, this fall, I, uh, you know, because I have the book and the, and the album out myself, um, I, in some way, it probably opened up some opportunities for me to get out and do some, some further promotion for that, which I'm going to continue to do through the end of the year. Hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit about the book, Dave. Um, I had you on the show when you brought the first book out. Once you did that book, did you think, right, I've done the autobiography now, I'm, I'm kind of done with all of that? Like, or what was the impetus to actually do another book? I, I did kind of think that I, I kind of like kind of thought, well, that's and that's that's kind of why I was a little hesitant to even do it when Joel MacGyver, my co-author on that book, had reached out to me. Um, he really pushed. He said, "Look, you're back in Megadeth now. Dave Mustaine's putting out his memoir. You should put yours out because the two of you really are the bookends of the Megadeth story. You know, Dave and Dave. So I'm glad I did it. Um, and it's it's." Um, you know, put it put some things of my personal life out there that I think were probably good uh, to set the stage, certainly for this this current book, More Life with Death, that's coming out. Um, but More Life with Death was really focused on initially when we started writing it was really more focused on the things that had happened since I came back to Megadeth in 2010 um, with the record label, um, uh, relaunching Combat Records, my coffee company. Uh, some other musical endeavors, me and Frank Bellow, Altitudes and Attitude, Metal Allegiance, some of these things. So those are things that were not included in the first, in you know, the first memoir. Um, and 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 it's a lot of stuff that has happened. So what I found with 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 the Combat Records uh, transaction is that that with this new book took me all the way back to the founding early days of Megadeth in 1983 really pretty much through the 80s. Um, and that is a largely untold period of the Megadeth story because everything kind of from Rust and Peace onward has largely been told. It's pretty much public knowledge. We run MTV. A lot of that stuff still resides on YouTube to this day. Um, whereas the stuff from the 80s was, you know, there wasn't a lot of MTV yet. Um, and most of the publications that were pub- that were covering Megadeth have all, all gone out of print, like Circus Magazine, Hip Raider, and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. So I found that with more in this new book, More Life with Death, that really was a great platform to tell that early days of Megadeth up up until about Dave, did you keep journals back then? Like, was your is your memory really good from back in that era? My memory's pretty good. My memory is, is pretty sharp. Um, and I think that's what works when I do my base story tour is that I can relive and recall stories. You know, I can really go back and uh, um, and and tell them. And I think certainly writing these books helps. It helps bring that together. And one of the things I did in, in the new book here is I... I got a lot of my friends who were on the journey with me. I got them to also tell the story. Um, like my childhood friends, Greg Hanovit, Bradley Schmidt, um, Metal Blade Records owner, Brian Slagle, who is certainly a heavy metal historian. Um, encouraged Lars Ulrich to put a drum kit together and start a band, which he, of course, did called Metallica. <laughs> um, you know, Brian was there through a lot of this a lot of this for all of us in our in our genre and then also guys like kk downing from judas priest you know who he and i have become friends and um developed a, a friendship as far back as 1990 when we were uh doing the, the painkiller rust and peace tour together um and i and, and was a huge influence in me as a as a teenager for my musical trajectory so um a lot of great guests also a part of the narration and part of the narrative of the book. Mm. Now, one of the things I always find with authors when I'm interviewing them, and they all tell me the same thing, is they love to interview the the guy who's the writing about face-to-face, but a lot of the times they can't do that. Um, Did this happen for this one a lot, that you were able to do everything face-to-face and 
you probably got more better stories out of it because of that. You know, most of this was not face to face just because of our location. And, uh, had I been on a world tour and was able to be face to face, I would have done that. Um, but I don't mind doing things over Skype and FaceTime or telephone. Um, you know, like for instance, I actually personally interviewed Chris Adler from Lamb of God because he played drums on the Megadeth Dystopia album. So I, I, I did a chapter with him called My Megadeth, which was his line, his story. That was his tagline. He always used, My Megadeth would do this, My Megadeth wouldn't do that. And he was referring to the point in time when he became a Megadeth fan back in the 80s on Peace Cells and so far so good so what. And I get it because I have my kiss, you know, for me, my kiss was their, was their destroyer album, which came out in 1976. That mm. was the benchmark by which I measure all things kiss <laughs> probably bad and kiss alive, um, <laughs> are the, are the two albums that are, are my benchmark of, of kiss and, and maybe probably up to maybe kiss alive too. Um, but I get it when Chris, when Chris Adler said that. So when I interviewed him, we were sort of reliving being in the studio together and, you know, that period of time we got to share together. When he was, um, you know, with, with Megadeth. So, um, yeah, I, 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 and and my partner, Tom did interviewed a lot of people. And I think, you know, because he's a Megadeth fan, he's also a Megadeth historian, uh, in his own right. Um, and being around me as a, as a, you know, in a, in a business relationship, I think in a lot of ways he was probably able to maybe get things out of people that maybe they wouldn't have told me, you know, um, so, you know, I think there was a, a, a pretty cool dynamic that happened having Tom do a lot of the interviews as well. Mm. Now, Dave, I, I want to ask you about one particular show, and I don't know whether it's in the book. Um, I was at the Dublin show on the Rust in Peace tour um, yeah. after the incident in Belfast a couple of years before. Um, how afraid were you of the of coming into Dublin to play that show because you're not, you're not in Northern Ireland. You were in the Republic of Ireland. Like, were you really afraid yeah. of your safety? Well, it's, it's interesting. I did put the, uh, the Northern Ireland Belfast show incident in there. And I had Christian Narn, um, who played Hodor on game of Thrones, huge fan. Uh, he actually told the story <laughs> in my book. So, um, and, and it's funny, you know, when we did go back in the rest of the peace store to play that show in Dublin, you talked about Dave was very afraid. Uh, I remember we, we chartered a private jet to fly in and out of the country. We landed, we played, we left, um, which was awesome to do, uh, but not something we could really afford at that point in our career. <laughs> but, but we, we, we were probably Dave more than anything was very, he was quite tentative um, because of what had happened. But you're right, North and South, two, two, like really two different countries, uh, practically. Um, and it was very safe, and the fans loved it. The venue was great, and, um, you know, came off without incidents, you know, in 1990, yeah. or 90 or 91, whenever that was. That, so I just, um, I just remember, Dave, that show was amazing. And I think one of the reasons it was amazing is that people knew that the band were going to be nervous getting on the stage and they wanted to show that they were there for the music and, and that was all. Um, the show was incredible. Yeah. Well, you guys did a great job of doing that. So thank you. <laughs> you, 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 you welcomed us in with open arms. Thank you. <laughs> now your base tree tour, the Q and a, um, 
do you get nervous doing that that you don't real you don't know when you're up on stage you're like thinking to yourself damn i wonder what sort of questions are going to ask me tonight you know, I enjoy it. I actually thrive on it. I, I love the impromptuness of it because the, you know, with Megadeth, every, it's a show, you know, it's very set. The, the songs are set. The production is set. The timing of things is, is very on cue. Uh, what I love about Bass Story is it's it's more like jazz. It's very impromptu and it's very improvisational. And there's a looseness about it that every night is different and every show is different. No two base stories are the same. And I, that is something I really actually enjoy about it. Hmm. What, what, what's the weirdest question you think you've been asked? I'm sure someone has thrown a question at you and you've gone, oh, wow. You know, boy, that's a good question because I've done base story all around the world now. I've gone to Europe with it. I've been down to Turkey. I got to tell you, the shows I did in Turkey were great. Um, you know, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think some one guy asked me he had read Nick Menz's book because um, he has a memoir that has come out uh-huh. uh, posthumously after he had passed. Um, and I remember fans asking me about that book, and I had not read it yet. I've now since read it. And um, in fact, he encouraged me to read it. And it's a great book. It's a great read called Nick Menz and Mega Life. Um, and um, I think probably those were some of the more interesting questions because I hadn't read his book yet. Um, and I, of course, spent 10 years of my life with, Meg- with Nick in Megadeth and even prior to that when he was a drum tech. So I knew, I knew Nick quite well, and, uh, but I hadn't read his book, so I didn't know what he had talked about. So um, those were probably a couple of the more peculiar questions. You know, most of the other ones, I mean, look, I was there, so I know the answers to the questions. Mm. But, you know, I think probably when fans, they'll ask about, um, maybe not even so much musical things. They'll say, what was going on when you recorded Countdown Extinction? Or what happened around the, you know, the event in Belfast? <laughs> Tell us more about that. Um, so there, you know, there's oftentimes moments in our, in our, in my career in maybe Megadeth history that fans ask questions about that I find um, are fun for me to even go back in time and sort of relive those moments with the fans. Mm. Do, do a lot of people ask you about risk?
No, they don't really. Um, ironically, um, I do find it interesting um, that, like, I like, remember very clearly there uh, when I was in Florida doing the Bay Story back in December. Um, there was a young kid in front of me, and I mean, literally a kid, and he was maybe 12 years old. And I stopped the show and I said, "Hey, that's young man, how old are you?" Um, and he said, "12." I said, "What's your What's your favorite album?" Megadeth album. He goes, "Peace Cells." And I just went, whoa, man, I mean, you weren't, you weren't even born. You weren't even a twinkle in anyone's eye yet, you know? And yet here you are, you're, you're, you're 12 years old, and the album that catches your attention is the Peace Out album. And I thought that that really spoke to the legacy, and it spoke to the, uh, obviously there's a lot of people that must talk about that album. There's people that introduced him to that, to Megadeth through that album. Um, and, you know, those songs which were written in 1986 that they still to this day have the impact to touch a teenager, pre-teen, pre-teenager's life, I thought was an incredible testament to the music. And and I, it, it was it was one of the most memorable moments of, of Bass Store. Because hmm. the reason I'm asking about Risk is it's, uh, it's 20 years old this year. Um, right. And I'm actually a, I, I actually really liked that album. Um, I know it's a depart. I know it's a departure, but I do really like it. But one of the questions I want to ask you about on that is, um, you know what a mulligan is in golf? When you're halfway through the right. hole, you pick up the ball and you can go back to the start. If yeah. someone was to ask you which Megadeth album you'd, you'd do a mulligan on, would Risk be the one you'd pick? You know. At the time, that was the album we made, you know, and I, I don't have any regrets about the things that we've done as a band or that I've done in my life because they're all a, a touchstone moment to the next thing that comes after it. Um, huh. And if, if it was a mistake, for instance, if you learned from the mistake and moved on, it probably made you a stronger person, a better musician, et cetera, right? Uh-huh. If you just if you didn't learn from it, and all you do is you make excuses for it, or you blame other people, then you really didn't learn the lesson. You know, you just made other people a scapegoat, um, and the lesson kind of didn't even lay a glove on you. Um, and I think you know, with risk, look, there are a couple lessons we learned from it. One, um, we were being dissuaded by people around us to create a record that was too much of a departure from who we were and therefore our fans didn't really believe it and therefore it wasn't really a successful album and i think they could tell the second part of it was we weren't prepared when we went in to make that record we we thought let's spend our time focusing on these what would be sort of the radio songs and we thought you know when we get to nashville we can write heavy songs all day long we'll deal with those when we get there and unfortunately we got there and we we didn't we weren't in a in an environment that was conducive to writing really great heavy metal songs because we were so focused on writing radio rock songs. Um, and I think because of that, we made an album that just didn't hit them. It wasn't heavy enough and it wasn't sort of even mainstream enough. It was sort of sat somewhere in the middle. Um, and it's an album that I like. When I listen to it, I go, okay, it takes me back to that moment. When I, when I hear it, I go, God, I remember... It's like it's 1999 all over again. Hmm. It was not a really fun album to make. I can, we, it was not enjoyable for us as a band because I think it, it, it 
we all it ultimately tore the band apart. Marty Friedman departed after that. Um and uh it was our first record without Nick Menzo um on the drums, which you can you can tell. And Jimmy DeGrasso is a fantastic drummer. Hey, this is Jimmy DeGrasso listening to Focus on Metals and a dear friend of mine. But it was even for Jimmy, I mean he said he goes, Man, I left the Alice Cooper tour. I thought I was gonna be in recording Holy Wars part two and we're here we are recording Breadline, like what the hell? You know? <laughs> so you know, even Jimmy was a little miffed, you know, by huh, what the hell? <clears throat> but, um, you know, so it, it was an album that had a lot of struggle internally in it. Um, and there's moments when you can hear it. I mean, I love the song Prince of Darkness. Time, the end is great. Um, time, the beginning is great, but time, the end is probably one of the heavier songs on the record. Um, and, um, you know, there, there were, there was, there was, it was just a very interesting moment. Um, and, you know, it's like a lot of records I'll go back and I'll listen to see Euthanasia and I'll, I'll, and I'll just go, man, I forgot how good we were as a band. And I remember the joy of writing those songs because they're very collaborative. We wrote them together as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know what I mean? So there's, you know, the, all the albums have moments that bring up memories about them. Mm. Now, let's talk for a minute, Dave, about the cruise that, that you have coming up later this year. Now, yep. If, yeah. if Dave is healthy enough to, to play on it, and we all hope he is, um, yeah. would you like to maybe play one or two songs from the Risk album or some, some other lesser played songs from the past? Because on a cruise, you can kind of do that. You can kind of like go back in the catalogue and, and you know dig deep into, into lesser known album tracks and play those. Right. Well, I think with Risk, you know, we've opened the show, our opening video uh, number before the band comes on stage has been Prince of Darkness, which has been a really great soundtrack for this video intro that we have. And it's a way to bring some of the risk era into the current live show. Um, what we found with most of the songs on risk is that they like breadline, for instance, awesome acoustic song. When we play that acoustic, it's, it's incredible. Um, the other songs, you know, have sort of transitioned out of the live show. Um, they didn't seem to fit, in with where you know the set list that we've been playing recently um but yeah i mean look with the look the first of all the cruise is going to you know my good uh, what our performances will be certainly conditioned on you know whether you know we're you know dave's you know up for doing those performances you know mm-hmm. yeah um but um you know so you know to dig back into the catalog into something like the risk album i, you know, I don't know I, I think there's a time and a place for it it's funny we we're actually listening to it a lot on the on, toward the end of the dystopia record we were digging into it working on some stuff primarily for acoustic purposes um but um so we have revisited that album recently hmm. so let's spend the last couple of minutes we have dave talking about the uh the sleeping giants lp um yeah. Was that, was that something when the first book came out that you wanted to have a companion album for and you just didn't get around yeah. to it until this one? Or or how did that all no. come about? Yeah, you know, good question. No, not at all. Actually, the, the way it came about is when we were doing Bass Story back in late 2018, we were in Tampa, Florida, and my partner, Tom, I was having him sing on, the, on, on some songs I was performing live. And... Um, uh, he said one night, he said, he goes, we're in Tampa. He said, he goes, let's go to the studio tonight. Cause there's a studio there that we are partnered in with. And he said, let's go in the studio and, and go write a song tonight. 
so we went in, I picked up a guitar, and the song Vultures basically just fell out, like, within an hour. It was pretty much done. We recorded it. Next day, Tom put some lyrics down, and the song pretty much wrote itself. And I've, I'm a big proponent that the best songs write themselves. Um, they're, they're somewhat effortless, the way they come together. And Vultures is one of those songs. And I said to Tom, I said, you know, I got a couple of other songs, which are Sleeping Giants and Hammer. I said, you know, I've never really, Hammer never had any vocals. Um, and it's a bit of a tricky tune to write over because the riff is so um, prominent. And Sleeping Giants had had a vocal on it. I wasn't super, uh, you know, satisfied with it. So I, so Tom put some vocals down on those songs. And that started the idea of putting out a companion album um, along with uh, along with the, the book. And so I brought out the F5 demos. I brought out some demos of some stuff that I'd written back in 1993. Um, and that is that is the body of work that you have that is the album. Hmm. Was it easy to go through all that stuff and maybe say, yeah, I'm not really a fan of that now because maybe at the time you thought it was great. And now, you know, after all these years, you look at some of it and you went, yeah, not really liking that. Well, you know, it's interesting. The F5 stuff, um, the, I always loved some of the very first songs we wrote, which are the ones that I put on the, the record. Songs like Bleeding, Dead Man Rise. Um, these are songs that I, they were the very first songs we wrote. There was a spirit about them when we recorded them because we were just throwing the ideas down. And they were, again, songs were just writing themselves. Same can be said with the stuff that I put on, like If You Were God, um, um, and the stuff that I did, um, you know, Out in the Rain, and the stuff that I put on there with, with David Glenn Eisworth. Um, songs that literally just wrote themselves, that were just effortless. And, um, you know, those songs... 
they they hold up after you know decades later. I go back and I listen to them. I'm like, man, these are these are still great songs. And these recordings, um, in their demo phase, they captured what the song is, and um, that's why I I really wanted to have these these tracks see the light of day right now. And that's that's what made the Sleeping Giants album. Mm. Did you have to touch up many of them at all, Dave, or did you just leave them the way they were? No. Fortunately, uh, or unfortunately, I don't even have the master tapes. <laughs> so all I had was the mixes. I, I couldn't even go in and, I think the F5 tracks we've recorded on a recording machine that's long gone and broken, so we can't even get back to those. <laughs> and even the, the the master tapes for the for the David Glenn Isley and John Bush tracks, uh, they they were recorded on sixteen inch half sixteen track half inch tape. Um, so I mean, these things are long, and I, I think the guy Tom, who has the master, he lives in LA. I mean, we'd have to dig them out, we'd have to find the machine to revisit them. And quite honestly, I didn't really want to change them. I love the mixes, I, I remastered them so that they we could, you know, beef them up a little bit so they would sit better, you know, in today's radio format and sit better in a, you know, in today's, you know, uh, production standard. But I, I literally couldn't go remix them even if I wanted to, which kind of, I think, was a bit of a blessing. Mm, true, true. So, Dave, before I leave you go, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you? Sure, yep. DavidAllison.com is my main website where everything is for me. Megadeth.com, of course, for all Megadeth-related stuff. For the cruise, Megacruise.com. Um, you can order the new book, More Life with Death, uh, at Amazon and of course BarnesNoble.com and all the book, book reseller outlets. And you can get, uh, Sleeping Giants album is available, um, at, uh, your local record store for pre-order as well as on iTunes and all the digital outlets and also at our record store, uh, record label store, which is EMPMerch.com. Okay. Well, I know you're playing some, uh, shows up here in the New England area soon, so I'll try and get to yes. one of them, Dave, and uh, hopefully I can get, a, yes. get back and say hello to you. Yes, awesome. Yep. The Bay Story stuff is on Facebook. We have a Bay Story uh, Facebook page. You can go there to get all the ticket information and VIP dinners and all the VIP stuff there, so yeah, I look forward to seeing everybody at the Bay Story show. Excellent, Dave. Well, have a good rest of the evening, and uh, hopefully yes. see you soon. Yes, thanks so much, Richie. No see problem. You. Bye. There you go, Richie's chat with Megadeth bassist Dave Ellison. And uh, like I said before, lots of stuff going on this summer with Dave and all of his cohorts involved with uh, More Life with Death as well as Sleeping Giants. So before we get out of here this week, I did want to make you guys aware of one thing, and that is that uh, one of the agencies that we work with, the uh, Rock and Growl Promotions, has just put out Volume 1 of their Rock and Metal Sampler exclusive and unreleased tracks, and they've got Ryan Roxy on here. They've got Vardis, Desolation Angels, Cyteria, Black Mane, Phonomic, Playhouse, Crash Karma, Rat Bastard Syndicate, uh, just it, the list goes on and on. But anyways, they put out a brand new, like I said, rock and metal sampler, and that came out back on July 5th. You want to find out more about that, you can go to rockandgrowl.com, which is R-O-C-K-N growl.com, and find out all about where you can pick up your own copy of Rockaholic, Rock and Metal Sampler, Volume 1. But as you just heard, lots of great artists on this puppy. 
And so I thought that I would round off this week by playing you a track off of it. And this time, although there's awesome tracks on here, and it might have been a tough decision, but the uh, the band Air Force, they've got a track on here called Sniper, and it's featuring the one, the only, the legendary Paul Diano on vocals. So, of course, being the Nawabam head that I am, this is what I gotta go for. So, off of Rockaholic Volume 1, the band's called Air Force, the track's called Sniper, and again, on the vocals, the legendary Paul Diano. sample there off of rockaholics rock and metal sampler volume one from rock and growl promotions and like i said head up to rockandgrowl.com find out all the info on that one plenty of good tracks on it lots of good artists uh, can't miss with that sampler kind of like old school stuff and also if you haven't done so already make sure you order up your own copy of more life with death by our buddy dave ellison Good read there, and uh, you know, as you can tell, him and Tom not only working on the uh, on the book, but also on some music to accompany it. So, a cool partnership there, and uh, we'll see what else those guys do in the future. And speaking of the future, I still think that next week we are all aligned to bring you the awesome chat that Richie had with Ron Keel. So, good stuff, lots of good stories, and uh, Ron really doesn't pull any punches there pretty honest and open with Richie about all kinds of stuff. So that's uh, right now what is planned to uh, roll out to you next week, which I think is also going to be uh, the uh, the last show before we take our annual summer break. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, As always, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant.
raise a practical question at this point. Yeah. Are we going to do Stonehenge tomorrow? No, we're not going to fucking do Stonehenge. <laughs>